Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to. You can pick their brain. You can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Coming at you with another Alabama killer today, Mr. Travis Lee of Crenshaw County. Travis, how are you doing? Doing great, guys. Awesome. Ginger bow hunter. Or, uh, someone said we should call you the, the Red Rifle. So we got the Red Rifle over here, Mr. Jacob Myers. How are you doing over there? Doing doing well. Doing Do- really, really well. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, we're going to be on a pretty fun hunt. Oh, uh, big by, hunt, son. By the time this episode comes out. So hopefully be slinging some lead. Hopefully, hopefully. hopefully. Uh, but anyways, I'm no, doing great. Uh, Travis, this is an episode kind of been in the works for quite a few months now. I think we talked, or you reached out over the summertime. Um, and uh, of course, you're, you're a listener to the podcast, but you had reached out about some specific things that you do um, that's kind of helped you be you know, successful um, in, in you know specific kind of scouting hunting style that's, again, interesting. Something that you know, as we get into this conversation, people are going to learn more and more about this, but it's the whole idea of, you know, scouting and hunting around chasing tracks, um, which is something that we've mentioned very briefly, I'm sure in a couple past episodes, especially about one buck that Andrew killed a few years ago, where I found some chasing tracks, kind of sent him in there the next day in the general area, and he was able to kill a nice buck with his bow. Um, but again, this is something that you do and have a ton of success with. And I think if listeners really listen to this episode, take notes, I think we're going to have a lot of listener success stories come from this specific episode and this tactic and and this topic, really. By the way, I'll add before we jump into stuff on the listener success stories, there's a new page on our website for listener success stories. 
That is where we are publishing them from now on. And we also do a giveaway every single month for listener success stories with Onyx Maps. So if you want your name thrown in the hat and you've killed a deer using something you've used on the podcast, go over to the listener success stories section of the website, leave your story there, and it will actually get published. Uh, as long as you give us you know, enough to work with, it'll get published on the website. So those are dropping every uh, Tuesday and Thursday on the website. So you can go check them out, submit yours, enter for the giveaway, whatever you got to do. But with that, I'll turn it back over. Well, Travis, they kind of jump into this topic here. Can you describe what is, um, you know, chasing tracks or a chasing track? And, and again, why is this something that you've really kind of, you know, honed in on? Uh, it's something that you kind of have become effective, not only finding, but also hunting around those areas where you have a hot doe. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, early season, South Alabama, I, I'm relying almost 100% on, on trail cams, surveys, not, not only from this year, but from years past. But uh, come come uh the week of christmas in that time frame then i'm gonna then i'm gonna start relying on uh actual big buck sign uh trying to find where the you know where those mature bucks are are getting on the first available dose and uh it's something that's i think it's overlooked by a lot of hunters but uh it's you know it's not it's not something hard to learn and pick up on uh you know i during that time frame, I'm going to start really tracking roads, uh, checking, you know, checking food plots, uh, you know, edges of cutovers, looking, looking for that first chasing sign uh, to try to try to get on a mature deer. So, what are what would you describe just as chasing sign when you use that term? Is it just tracks, or is there other things you're looking for? No, you're. I mean, you're. It, it's it's real obvious with where the where the especially when a big buck gets after a doe, uh, it's no different than a than a cutting horse in an arena cutting cutting a calf. Uh, when he when he starts chasing her and slamming on brakes, he's going he's <laughs> he's going to leave some skid marks and, and some big you know some good sign. Uh, and it, of course you're going to have your younger bucks, you know, are going to be the first ones that really start doing that and chasing and. It, it's pretty obvious though when a big when a big deer, 180 pound plus buck, gets after a doe, he's gonna tear the ground up, and uh, that's the kind that's what I start keying in on. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, all all my resident bucks, I call them. You know, I I've got those peg i know where they're at what they're doing you kind of mentioned a little bit about you know what they look like but i would like to elaborate a little bit more about these chasing tracks or kind of cutting tracks and again how they look quite a bit different than just you know a big set of tracks crossing a road bed or crossing a logging road or walking up on logging road when you're talking like these cutting tracks you know what are like some of those like features when you see these tracks you're like oh this is a buck that's really getting after a doe right now in this location so, so when a big deer gets after a doe and, and she's not ready, I mean, she, everyone has seen that. Hopefully, uh, she's, she's darting, she's doing everything she can do to, to get away from him. And, and when she cuts in a different direction and he slams on the brakes, he's going to skid and, and really tear the ground up. And especially if it's a big, you know, a big, heavy, mature deer, you're going to see where his, where his, where his hooves are, you know, really cut into the dirt or the mud. And where he's, you know, he slid. He, he may have slid two, two or three foot, and turned and headed the other direction. That, that's the kind of stuff I'm looking. I'm looking for, whether it be a, a road or a clear cut or or a food plot. Perfect. And, and this is something that I think we need to kind of mention early on in this podcast, Travis. Is this you know style of track and finding this kind of stuff to me shines in areas where you have much softer soils, um, you know, clay roads, dirt roads. Um, if you have like really rocky ground, I, I've never really found chasing tracks in rocky ground. It's, pr it's pretty hard to just find tracks and journalists just punch through leaves. So I think that's something we ought to mention is again, kind of where you're at, you know, in the state of Alabama, you know, it really kind of, um, that, that area of the state really has good soil to be able to kind of see these chasing tracks really easy compared to if you were up in say like, you know, Northern Alabama and you're up on, you know, some really rocky limestone ground, like it's going to be super hard to kind of find this sign and stuff like that. Right. Absolutely. You know, if I was in, in, in that area, you know, I'm going to be looking for the same thing, but I'm going to be paying more attention to the leaves. Say I'm up on, you know, checking ridges on the edge of a, a cutover or bedding area. 
uh, that that big deer is going to do the same thing in those leaves, you know, that he that he does in the dirt, say on a on a on a road or or a food plot, and he's going to he's going to tear it up. It's it's going to be obvious. And they kind of elaborate even more on this because we're going to get to, you know, the setups, you know, what the sign kind of tells you how to go about honing this in. But at what point um, of, say, the season do you really start riding these roads and really start looking for these chasing tracks? Uh, and maybe just to give, you know, listeners some context here, you know, maybe kind of give us an idea of that range of the rut where you're at. And then typically when you start, you know, looking for these chasing tracks before the rut really hits. Yeah, so so the, man, the rut anymore, and and it, it people ask me all the time, you know, when when I need to take off, when's it going to be? Well, the rut has become so sporadic. It's a what I what I call a triple rut, but around that twentieth through the twenty fifth of December, I, I'm going to really start looking for that looking for that chasing sign because seems to be a few does that come that come in during that time period. And then it'll completely die off, you know, to around the tenth or the twelfth of January, and then that's that's when you'll start, you know, you're going to start finding that chasing sign every every day. Perfect. And I, I bring that up just context wise, and not saying that all the listeners wherever you're at, this is when to look for them in your area. But you're looking, you know, for these chasing tracks roughly probably a, a few weeks before majority of the does are going to be coming in, trying to find the first couple does that are coming in in and around one of your properties. And that's when those big bucks are going to be on her early. So, again, if you're in an area that has, say, uh, a November rut, it, you know, probably be a week or two before, you know, peak breeding, you're kind of looking for these chasing tracks um, or in other places, you know, depending on where that rut is, you're looking just a little bit beforehand. That's when you start looking for that sign. And then it kind of really plays out more so as more and more does come to the heat. And, you know, these bucks are all on, you know, an individual doe. And you're seeing that sign pretty much everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah, That I mean, that can be one of your – some of your best opportunities to kill a big deer is when you've got just a, a handful of does, you know, that's, that's came in, you know, obviously it's, it's going to be easier to get on during that time. Now, Travis, this really kind of, I want, I really want to dive into this as well. When did you kind of learn this, you guess, style of whitetail hunting, uh, of, you know, scouting for tra- uh, chasing tracks and kind of setting up in those areas, uh, compared to maybe what you used to do during the rut, and, and how effective has it been for you the last, you know, ever how long you've been doing it? Man, I I really got into this. I'd say hard in the you know the past fifteen years. Uh, just from you know going hunt, you know hunting with folks that I grew up with and friends and something that you know some of them helped me pick up on. It's just became a you know it's, it's the most deadly fact that you can have during that time frame of the year so that's again that's interesting again talking about how deadly this tactic can be um just because it's something that you know you've kind of really learned that hey if if there's a buck coming in here especially a good buck with a good set of tracks um that's really on a doe more than likely he's going to be in that area for or for a couple days where you can kind of really hone your skills and and really get in there and try to get after him now it kind of comes up I, i want to talk about the whole scouting regiment you were talking about you know, you're driving roads, you're walking logging roads, checking food plots, checking around clear cuts and stuff. Has there been any one specific kind of area that you really seem to find more of that sign than others? As in like, oh, you know, if you've got like a, you know, a food plot close to a thick bedding area or a logging road close to a thick bedding area, like you'll really find them there more so than other places. Has there been anything like that that you've really kind of honed in on that's like hot spots for finding chasing sign? Yeah, so I tell everybody when a big deer gets first, you know, when he first gets on a doe and she's not ready, normally that's going to occur in a bedding area is where it's going to start. Well, the first thing that doe is going to do is she's going to hit an oak to try to put some distance in between her and that buck. And, and obviously that's where you want to be set. And, uh, you know, cutovers is, is heaven to me. And <laughs> It don't matter if it's a fresh cut over or it's you know five, four or five foot pines that you you can still get up a tree and you know and see good into them. Uh, that's that's probably my all time favorite. But uh, same thing with the road. You you you've got to think to yourself when you find that sign, which direction is the bedding area? It's, uh, you know when you walk up on that, if you find some good chasing sign. Uh, and, and it looks to be a good buck, 
if you know there's a bedding area within three, four, five hundred yards of you at that time, you can pretty much count on that. That buck's there right then. He, he's there right then, bedded down with, with that doe or, or does, and you need you need to get in a tree. And uh, it's you know it, it all goes back to the bedding areas, but any kind of opening, joining a bedding area, whether it be a fire lane, a road. Uh, like I say, a clear cut, even food, you know, even food plots. But, uh, I tell people, you know, food plots are great, but when you walk into a food plot and it's tore up from the night before, you know, they're chasing sign everywhere. I'm not saying absolutely hunt it. You, you need to hunt it, but I, I tend to, to, to see that the food plot chasing, you know, 95% of, of it is done at night. Uh, I would rather be on a road, a long straightaway, or a clear cut, cut over type situation. If I if I had to, you know, had to pick the best scenario for me. Travis, one question I have about bedding areas is in our part of the country, and I know especially where you're at, there's there tends to be just a lot of thick cover around. Uh, so how are you kind of figuring out where the actual bedding areas are? Is it just kind of anything with thick cover, or are there certain things that you're looking for that, that makes this thick of a bedding area and this one not so much? Yeah, I mean, here, any any kind of thick planted pines, you know, from two to three years old up to 15-year-old, that that's prime bedding cover here. And uh, obviously, you're, you're grown-up cutovers, uh, anything that hadn't been replanted i'm looking for the nastiest ugliest place on the property uh you know we have a lot of pretty hard woods down here but uh that time of the year i, I want to find the nastiest place possible and that's where you're going to find your big deer bedded up with those and is there any, so that's kind of the habitat side of things. Is there anything to the terrain side of things where you're maybe trying to tile this in with some specific terrain feature or does it really just come down to good cover and being able to see it a long ways? Yeah, it, it does. It, it really just comes down to good, good thick cover here. We, you know, most of our stuff is flat. We got a little, little rolling hills, but, uh, I, it's just the thickest, thickest area you can find. Travis, can we go into, um, the scouting mindset of how you're going about checking for this sign. You know, you're talking about walking, you know, walking roads, driving roads, walking logging paths, you know, walking around food plots and clear cuts and all that kind of stuff. How often are you trying to do this? And maybe can we talk a little bit about maybe how easy this could be for somebody, whether they're hunting public or private land, just to ride roads in the morning before they go to work? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, obviously I, I have a full-time job, but my, my best, my best scenario is I'm doing this every day. Some, somewhere, you know, I own a lot of property, but I, you know, that's something, you know, any free hour you get, uh, it don't matter if you're riding a, a truck, a four-wheeler or, or walking any, I mean, by that time, you, you know where your bed and areas are and, uh, most guys do anywhere where there's some openings around those bedding areas that you know you could get a stand in place or get on the ground, whatever you got to do. Whether it be a road or, or lanes or, you know, cut over, clear cuts, anywhere you can get into those areas and check for that fresh, shake sign, cut sign, I call it. Uh, that's what you need to do. I mean, that's, that's a, something you need to do. Daily, if you can, it's, it's not you know this this kind of sign is not something you find one day and say find it on Wednesday and say hey I need to get back in here this weekend. No, you need you need to call a boss and get it, get there right then. Uh, it's when you find that that kind of sign, you got to jump on it and, and set it you know, right then to be successful. I say right then, right you know in the next day or day or two two to three days and see this is something that andrew's talked about a little bit because with your club so close andrew kind of elaborate on this how it'd be so easy for you to ride roads and I, I did it yesterday i because uh, i knew we were getting ready to do this episode so i went out yesterday uh during lunch i got a property five minutes from the house i can hunt and i just drove the roads out there uh went and checked a cutover went and walked a little bit of a gas line and went and drove uh 
most of the roads to the property that go through different uh, bedding cover. And I didn't find any chasing tracks yet, which I kind of expected. It's, it's still a little bit early, but I am finding like just normal tracks crossing the road. Um, how much do those play into factor? Like, you know, when you're starting to kind of look for chasing tracks, are you still taking note of where you're seeing like the most just deer traffic crossing roads and you kind of pay extra attention to those spots? Oh, absolutely. Oh, uh, cause you remember you're, you're, you're hunting does. I mean, that's what you're really hunting. So, you know, keep in mind your, your big trails that, that you found where crop road crossings, uh, in, you know, any of those areas where there's heavy traffic, when it, when it happens, you know, that's where you're going to find that sign. When, you, when those, those first those come in heat, you go back to those areas where you saw the most, the most tracks, the most trails, and that's the areas that you're going to find, find to take the sign. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I kind of pretty quickly ran into when I was doing this yesterday and kind of just thinking through this whole tactic is my club has a, kind of a lot of different kinds of thick cover. I mean, you might have, let's say you have three different timber blocks on the property and uh, one of them is young pines that are pretty thick underneath. One of them is older pines that are thinned and pretty thick underneath. And then the other one is a different kind of pines that are also pretty thick underneath. And, uh, you know, let's just say that you find some tracks that are crossing a road just in one spot, you know, um, where you find some like big dugout tracks where they, they crossed and they, they ran across that road. How do you kind of approach that where there's not like a obvious, um, just giant open area to kind of watch amongst all that? It's just kind of a lot of thickets. Like there's maybe some mature thin pines and then, you know, a five or six year old pine thicket that you can't really see through anymore. Uh, how do you go about approaching that situation? Right. So when I, when I, when I find that sign and I, and I feel like it's a big deer that's been chasing, I, first thing I'm going to think in my mind is, you know, what kind of wind direction do I have? What am I going to have? Which, what direction do I feel like the bedding area is and how close can I get to it? Uh, you know, I, I, I like, I love to sit right on top of the bed area. I know that may spook some guys, but if I've got the right wind, I want to be sitting right on top of it. So anywhere I feel like I can, you know, most of my, that, most of that kind of hunting, uh, I do with a climbing stand. So wherever I can get close to that bed area and, and feel seat and have a good wind, that's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it really sounds like it's kind of all just predicated on you're going to go out and you're going to find fresh tracks where deer have been chasing within the last, you know, day or two, and you're going to hunt it right then. Do you ever incorporate any kind of calling or anything uh, into your hunting style when you're doing this? Like, you know that yeah. there's a hot doe in the area. Do you ever try to do anything like that? I come, man. I, I, when I get in a tree, I'm going to be calling, you know, every time, 15, 15 to 20 minutes. I'm going to be picking up a grunt call, grunting three or four times, and I'm going to throw a snort wheeze in there always. from when it, If I'm in a tree from Christmas till February 10th, I'm going to be calling. Uh, I've had a ton of, ton of success uh, with it. Uh, more, I know a lot of people don't take advantage of a snort wheeze, but I've had more success with it than, than just a grunt. But, I always start out with a few grunts, but absolutely uh, need to be calling. That, that's interesting. So the snort wheeze is kind of an interesting kind of call. Um, if people aren't familiar with it, I definitely say, like, there's a lot of good audio of deer actually doing it on YouTube. You can go look up. Andrew, Andrew rip out a snort wheeze. Yeah, you do. I was going to ask you to do it. I ain't doing it. I can't do a snort wheeze. Really? Uh, well, you know, I tell people, even if a, if a big deer is on a doe, uh, hard. Now, I'm not saying every time. I, I'm saying it happens a lot of times when you, if if you're hearing a buck chasing a doe in a in a bedding area, you know, you're hearing that faint grunt. Uh, a lot of times you can hit him with a snort wheeze, and he will leave that doe and, and come to you. It's it's just a deadly, super mm-hmm. deadly fall in it. It's most deadly in that pre-rut stage, as most most people know, but it will it will it will kill them during the rut too. All 
Jacob, hit that snort wheeze. Right, there, there it is. I've called. Oh, well, I didn't say I call in one. I had uh, a five and a half year old I killed last year on some public. He snort wheezed. He was he was chasing a, a smaller buck who was on a doe, and they jumped in this thicket, and then it got all quiet, and that buck snort wheezed at that smaller deer. I snort wheezed right back at him. Not saying I did anything, but that doe popped right back out, and he stepped out, and he stood still for about a third of a second too long, and uh, got shot. But. <laughs> but uh, well, I'm curious, Travis, you, especially I feel like down here in Alabama, when you talk about a snort wheeze, I hear a lot of guys afraid to do it because they feel like it scares deer. Like I've heard that a lot over the years. It's like, oh, I tried that and it scared the hell out of that deer. What are your thoughts on that, about that, that call actually scaring deer? Man, I, I believe, <laughs> I believe I've, I believe I've called more to me than, I, than I've scared off. And obviously I can't prove that, but man, it, you shouldn't be afraid of it. That that is the most deadly tool that that you can have during that pre rut and 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 rut time. It's and don't be afraid of it. If, I mean, I don't want to say a percentage, but if a mature deer is within hearing range of you, the chances are he's going to check things out when you hit him with that small wheeze. I mean, just. Keep in mind, he's going to try to circle down wind on you, but uh, absolutely do it. You'll you'll end up being a believer in it, absolutely. Now, do you like to do it just with your mouth, like natural voice, or do you have some kind of call that you use to do it? I, I do both, but uh, I, I got a, I believe it's a bone collector call that, man, just makes an incredible snort wheeze and uh friend of mine, uh, Mike Pentecost with Woodhaven, he ma- he makes a really good one as well that I use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've used, I've, I've done both actually. And I actually, the, you can get, a, I feel like you can get a little more volume out of a actual call. Like it'll just be like a plastic tube basically, but uh, it, it kind of kicks things up a notch. Um, Absolutely. So That's you, exactly right. So you incorporate that snort wheeze with like three or four grunts and, and you're yeah, just calling I'll, blind? Yeah, I'll, I'm I'm calling blind every, uh, I say 15, 20, 30 minutes. I'm going to grunt three or four times, and I'm going to end it, end it with a snort wheeze. Do you ever do a, a, a doe bleat in that situation? I have not. I know some guys that use it. Uh, I know some, there's a lot of guys that are, are believers in that can call. Uh, that's just something that I don't do, probably should. Houndstooth Game Call's Dixie Hen Slate was just voted the overall best turkey call by Field and Stream Outdoors, and trust me, it's super easy to run and be extremely dynamic when you're in the turkey woods. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these calls in the past, like the Spurmaster and the Success Call in a past episode with both Gary Vines and Lyle Gilbert of Houndstooth Game Calls, and it was funny enough, y'all actually bought every Spurmaster call and Success Call they had. Now, pay attention to their website. They're going to have some more come up in stock in the next few days. So when they come available, make sure you get one if you did not purchase one before they sold out last time. Both the Spurmaster and the Success Call are fantastic for hunting high-pressure turkeys, whether you're on a hunting club where you have a lot of other members hunting those same turkeys, or if you're on public land. Again, both of those calls will make you sound a little bit different from everybody else and be a lot more subtle in your calling technique and be able to really help close those distance with those gobblers. So if you want to give Houndstooth Game Calls a try, go to houndstoothgamecalls.com, use the promo code SOP24. Again, promo code SOP24 for 15% off houndtoothgamecalls.com. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offering a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a True Lock Choke and it's to improve your shotgun performance. Absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And, uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far? Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. I never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50-yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable like everybody's jaws were dropping like when we were out there with mike and sam we were all super impressed i mean it's throwing a better pattern at 50 now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke and andrew you're shooting the precision hunter choke from true lock it's a great option same chokes i have in my shotgun so guys if you want to give true lock a shot this spring you can head over to truelockchokes.com that's t-r-u 
L-O-C-K-Chokes.com. You can also use the promo code SOUTHERN at checkout at TrueLockChokes.com and save 10% on your order. Again, give TrueLock a shot this spring, especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun, and shoot with a more deadly pattern with TrueLock. Kind of getting back to the track thing, uh, when you're going out and you're looking for chasing tracks and you just can't find any, uh, you, there's none on the roads or on the food plots and you're not finding a chasing track, uh, what is your what is your go-to at that point? Are you just going to basically keep jumping around and scouting until you do find that or are you going to go to the next best thing? Well, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm going to continue scouting, but if, if I'm, if, if, if you track, you know, if you track rows around your hunting area and you're not seeing any any of that, then it's not time yet. I mean, go back to hunting food plots, or, or like I said, get on your bedding areas, get the wind right, and uh, hunt on the bedding areas and take advantage of the, of, the, of the calling like we were just discussing. That, if you're not seeing the chasing sign, you know, get where you believe the your bucks are fed and I start and used to call one during that time. Um, and you you might have answered this earlier, but uh, when it comes to chasing tracks, is there is there just a surefire way, especially if somebody is maybe kind of newer when it comes to looking at tracks, that they can tell that it's going to be you know a bigger deer for their area and not a smaller deer that's that's just sliding through the mud and, and you know maybe putting the appearance of a big track, uh, but really it's, a, you know, maybe a smaller deer and he's just sliding around or, or pressing in the soft mud and it's making that track look bigger. Is there any way to kind of make sure that you're looking at a big deer? I mean, I, I believe that just comes, that's, that's just comes with experience and years of, of looking at that sign and, and doing it. Uh, like I said, the, the big deer, you know, you, it's kind of, this is kind of like you do you're driving down a road and you're tracking the road, but, if a big deer's been chasing those in that road, you're going to see it up ahead out the front windshield before you even get to it. That kind of thing. You're going to see the ground really tore up. That's that's the you know that's the most sure way of you know, finding. Think you know feeling like it's a big deer, mature deer. He's going to really tear the ground up. Uh, same way in a food plot. You uh, walk up to a plot. You can see that before you even actually get into the food plot. You can see that it's been pulled up from the night before. And, but other than that, I mean, it's, it's you know years of experience and being able to look at a, a smaller buck track versus a big, you know, heavy-footed buck track. And this is something I, I want to kind of bring up, uh, which we've talked about this hunt in the past, but I think it was 20, was it 2018, Andrew, when you shot that buck? I found chasing tracks in 2019. It was 2019. So, so 2019, I was in a spot uh travis like what we're talking about here uh road goes right through a, a thick bedding area some thick pines it's a clay road so tracks normally especially after rain like really show well uh you know on this specific road and i was in there um just kind of walking that road uh after a pretty good rainstorm like maybe a day or day or two later went in there and right in this little uh kind of straightaway on that road there was just tracks everywhere and you could literally see where a doe she was running circles like in this opening in this opening area off the side of the uh this clay road and you could just see there's one or two bucks like on her and there you see those cutting tracks where he's making like a 90 degree cut left and right um uh, you know trying to like push this doe back and try to probably get her back in the cover and kind of get her away from this other buck and it was tra- it was just tore up and you could just see i'm like this is chasing tracks and i wish i had better i wish i had some photos of that specifically well i had to like work the next day or something so i told andrew i'm like dude if you're gonna go hunt you gotta come in here it was, it was an archery hunt and come sit like off the back side of one of these spots or maybe andrew you might have looked at the map and just it was like a closest spot where a big saddle came through this area yep. and uh was able to kind of get set up on the edge of this bedding area and you had a, a pretty nice buck come by and i had a guy shot at it i think it was the first year that was the only deer you saw that day right no, I saw two. I had two bucks. I got in there. I was originally going to hunt the hub down beneath it, but then I ended up going up on the hill and getting on the edge of the actual pine thicket. And I was there for ten minutes and killed him. And then, like fifteen minutes later, another buck came by, mm. who was the same size. Thankfully, I'd have been really upset if it was a giant. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but but again, that but one thing I learned that day, Travis, was when you have that chasing sign, not only are you gonna have, you know, that one or two bucks in there, but the other bucks in the area are knowing that, hey, there's a hot doe in this general area and they're gonna get sucked into that spot too. So you may have Absolutely. three, four, five, six different bucks in this one area, all different sizes, but there may be one or two that's really dogging that doe and the other ones are kinda in the vicinity. Satellite almost, yeah, bucks. almost like a satellite buck or like guys that elk hunt like a satellite bull who just on the edge of what's going on and satellite tom yeah. whatever so maybe, exactly. can we talk a little bit about that i'd love for you to kind of get into maybe like a, a story of a specific hunt or something um that we can kind of highlight talking about you know find the sign setting up on it and kind of how a hunt played out with the deer activity and everything yeah uh, yeah and it's i mean it's not unusual to see two to five bucks you know chasing chasing one doe uh yeah i, I can think of a of a hunt kind of like what you just described two years ago uh ended up uh, it was a 10 point probably 133 inch 10 point but uh i was tracking a tracking a road on the edge of a, a big bed in there and it it was a probably about a five-year-old clear cut grown up you know real thick uh same kind of deal i i i, I seen the road tore up i got out and looked and you could tell that it was, you could tell that it was more than one buck, you know, chasing those and had, had just tore the road up. Uh, I was actually on my lunch break. I backed out, I, I backed out, uh, changed clothes, called, called, called work, you know, little mo wasn't coming back. But I changed clothes, grabbed a climber and went straight in there. Uh, probably climbed a, a tree about, I don't know, maybe a hundred yards off the, the cutover. And I actually, before I got to where I where I wanted to get on the tree, I could hear the bucks chasing those in in the pines, uh, and I, that's something else that I think gets overlooked. Those grunts when they're chasing them does a lot of times are so faint that you really got to be paying attention to, to hear it. Uh, but I could hear them you know, chasing the does in the pines, and I, I I got situated, and this went on, I guess. I want to say off and on for a couple of hours till finally once the doe busted out of the pines out into I want to I guess call some select uh, bigger timber and there ended up being five bucks chasing her and the ten point was the last one in line and he he come by me at 75 80 yards and gave me a good shot but uh I could talk I mean I, I could talk about many hunts like that. Yeah, you just got to remember when you come up on that sign and it's fresh running cut sign, odds are those buck, that buck or bucks, is, you know, odds are they're there right then within a few hundred yards of, you know, bedded down within those. So you got to keep that in mind when you find that. It's something you want to, you know, ease out of there, don't make a bunch of noise and try to get in there as soon as possible and hunt home. Now, Travis, you said something there that I want to clarify and make sure I heard this right. You said you set off that uh, that thick, that pine thicket, the five-year-old pines, about 100 yards off those off that edge. Is that right? That's right. So this, this is something interesting, uh, and it, it makes sense to me, but I want to kind of bring it out for the listeners. Most people would think, oh, I'm going to get right up on the edge of those pines. I'm going to get, you know, 25 yards, even with a rifle, because we're talking gun hunting here. Uh you know, even with a rifle, like I'm going to get kind of close to that edge. So maybe I could like kind of see him coming through those pines or if, if I can't, the pines are too big, see him coming down the edge. But with your mindset and tell me if I'm, if I'm correct here, you're getting far enough off. So at any point, you know, say for that hundred, 200 yard stretch across in front of you, if that deer pop, if that doe pops out in those select cut pines, you will be able to see a lot farther being farther off that edge of those pines, that thicket. That's, than that's if you're around exactly, top of there. That's exactly right. I, w- I want to give the deer some, uh, so I want to give them some room. I want to, you know, exactly what you just described is the way I approach it. I always want to be able to cover as much ground, see as much as I can in any of those circumstances. But that's that's exactly right. That's, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, and that, that's it's a it's a really good point too because if you, if you know they're in there, and again, this is something that I'm sure it probably bit me in the foot a couple or you know in the butt a couple times uh, about not getting 
like, sir, sometimes you don't want to get right there on top of them if you have a slight visual advantage where, I mean, it's thick enough cover, you're not going to be able to shoot into that cover more than likely unless they're right on the edge of it. So getting right. far enough off, they kind of give you a wider angle of view down that, you know, say, line of timber, that thick edge, but also give you more opportunity if a deer pops out on it and either starts paralleling or quartering off that thick cover, you have a little bit more time to kind of see them and get on them versus if, you know, if you're 25 yards off that edge, he pops out or that doe pops out, and now they're behind you and they're running off, and that's a that's a pretty hard shot to try to, you know, execute on. Um, exactly. The, the, one th- the one thing you don't want to do is bust the doe before the buck makes it out of the thicket. Uh, you want to let you want to be able to create have some distance for her to get out of the you know get out of the bedding area. But you know if she comes out a hundred yards and you spoke her, then maybe he's already out where you can get get a good shot at it. Now, can we talk a little bit about conditions? I, I'm curious here if. Um, you know, certain conditions are going to be better for, uh, you know, finding these cutting tracks. You know, of course, if you have rain, stuff like that, that's going to be awesome for, especially if you have clay roads, sandy roads, uh, or just any kind of dirt road that's not just gravel. You know, you should be able to find, you know, chasing tracks and stuff, you know, in those kind of conditions. But what happens if it's, say, you know, you're going through like a dry period, which at least where I'm at, we're, we're at right now, is not happening. Uh, we're getting tons of rain. But, um, if say you were going through, you're in a state or someplace, and maybe you haven't had rain in a couple of weeks, and the ground's pretty hard. How does that change finding chasing tracks or cutting tracks in that case versus you know an area where maybe you've been getting quite a bit of rain every few days, so the ground's super soft? Yeah, in, in that case, you know, uh, obviously I'm I'm I love to do it right after the rain. I mean, that's nothing more ideal. But if you're in a drought or in an area where you you know can't see that, and you know the rut. You know, you know the rut is on or should be happening. You've got to go back to, you just got to go back to the bedding area. Where's the bedding area? Where's the food that the does are going to? And set, make your setup on on that, depending on the wind direction. That's that's the way I would approach that. Uh, also, Travis, when you're talking about setups and you know wind in your direction, do you like to set up typically with the wind in your face, or do you like to set up with a crosswind or anything? Like, what what's your take on that? When you you know you find cutting tracks or chasing tracks, how do you like to position when it comes to the wind? I I, I mean, I want the wind in my face. Uh, crosswind is fine, but I ideal ideally, you know, if I can, I'm going to get the wind in my face coming off of that bed there where I believe where I believe there's bedded up or coming out of uh but you know, crosswind you know, that, that's that's fine as well i just absolutely don't don't want to set up where my sense going into that bit and, I, and i say that now mornings i make exceptions you know as, every, as everybody knows in the mornings your thermals are rising so you know, if I'm hunting a big deer in the mornings like that, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make, you know, make that not, not let me hunt. I'm, I'm gonna go. Uh, you can get away with it on the cold mornings with the thermal drive. Travis, another question I had is when you go out and you find and you locate the kind of sign that you're looking for, you find those big chasing tracks crossing a road and it's tore up and, and you know it looks good. How? How long are you going to give that area before you kind of back out and start looking for something else? You know, if it's just not happening, are you giving it two or three days, or uh, are you needing to see results pretty much immediately for you to stay interested before you go looking for more tracks? Um, I'm, you know, I, I would ideally give it, you know, a couple of days, two to three days to hunt it. But even then, I'm never going to stop looking. You know, I, I, ne- I never stop scouting i tell everybody that especially during that that rut that time period you want to scout every day because you want to find that fresh that fresh sign and jump on it right then so I, i'm never going to stop scouting but i but if i got a good area i find some good chasing signs definitely going to give it a few days and when you find that sign how hard are you hunting it or is it like a morning and evening thing are you doing all day sits are you sitting midday like kind of what's that look like yeah ideally you know i i want i'm i'm looking midday and i find find the good sign like we we described and i'm going to be there the next morning before daylight you know and i'm going to sit 
fifteen thirty, eleven o'clock. Uh, the longer the better. If you are one of them guys that can sit all day, that's that's the kind of sign that you want to spend your time on for sure. Okay. Uh, and also something else I wanted to bring up from earlier, just on the calling thing. Have you ever had any success with rattling in these areas? Is that ever something that you've tried? Uh, that's a question I get asked a lot. Uh, very little. Uh, I've, you know, I've called in a, a handful of bucks, and it's something that I try every year. Uh, but I've had very little success with it. It's, it's just not something that I have have confidence in. Hmm. In, yeah interesting but again when it comes to the grunting snort wheeze that's your go-to in those kind of situations um tra- travis when it comes to like you know giving us like another uh scenario or, or hunt you've gone through what what is like a typical if you were going to say like a typical setup uh or, or hunt when it comes to like hunting and chasing tracks you're talking about finding like openings can we talk about if you're finding something like around logging roads or something like you know, when or where you may step on a logging road, if that's your opening compared to, you know, stepping those like slut cut ponds or whatever. I mean, can you give us some other like scenario hunts of how you've kind of, uh, you know, fine tuned where you're going to set up based off what the habitat's given you? Yeah. So a logging road set up or fire lane, dirt road, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, what you want, you want to be able to, you want to be able to be in a straightaway whether you have to sit on the ground and, you know, build a blind or, or, or climb a tree, you want to find the, the longest stretch of road that's straight you can see. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think a lot of people don't hunt roads because they, you know, they believe they're not going to have enough time to shoot. But believe it or not, even when a buck is on a doe and you're hunting a road or right away, you can, most of the time, you can stop. Uh, you can whistle at them, holler at them, whatever you, whatever you want to do. But uh, obviously, there's times you, you can't. But more times than not, you can stop them long enough to to make a decision whether you whether it's a shooter or not and get a shot. But again, it seems like you know having those straightaways in and around those areas is that something that you know, typically say like if you were going to find like say tr- uh, chasing tracks on like a logging road, that's maybe cutting through some pines, like say like, you know, like 15, 20 year old pines. Is that one of those spots that you may just set up on that logging road versus trying to get a little bit closer to potential that bedding cover? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I absolutely love, you know, hunting a road. Uh, I, the ideal, you know, situation is having some, having some pines or some in our area, having a good pine, on that road that you can get a climber in absolutely that's that's one of my favorite places to sit during that time frame for sure if i you know if i had to pick the most ideal perfect rut set up uh if i had to pick one it it's a clear cut it's three four years old the pines are you know up but you can can still get on the edge, get in the tree, and see down in them pines. That's that's an absolute best setup there is during the rut in, in South Alabama for sure. Uh, Travis, one of my last questions is: What are some mistakes that people might make when they really try to start doing this tactic? What are some what are some things that that, that they could kind of get off course with, or some mistakes for people to avoid? I mean, the number one mistake mistake is is not paying attention to the wind uh, you know if you're if if you find that kind of sign and bucks have been chasing and and you try to set up with your wind going into to the cut over and it's, it's going to be a sort of thick area whatever you want to call it it's going to be a dead hunt you're going you're going to either hear a bunch of bunch of blowing or not hear nothing at all so i'd say not you know, not paying attention to the wind or, or like we discussed earlier, uh, not setting up right on the bed area. Uh, if you can give yourself 100, 200 yards uh, between you and, and where you believe they're bedded, that's, that's the best setup. So, you know, try to try to get get in a tree right on the right on the bed area. You may spook the deer you know, going up the tree, or, or like I said, the doe may come out. You may before the buck has a chance to get out into the open where you have a shot opportunity. I, I'd say that's 
two of the most common mistakes. Awesome. Well, Travis, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think if I have anything else. Is there anything, Travis, that you think you feel like we've missed or or haven't discussed as an important factor for, you know, focusing on scouting and hunting in and around these chasing tracks for the rut? Is there anything that we're we're missing that would be of value for for a listener going out in there and doing it for their first time? The only thing I'd say is, man, don't be afraid to be aggressive. Like I say, scout hard every chance you get, whether it's thirty minutes an hour or or whatever. Uh, cover as much ground as possible and uh don't ever stop keep keep looking for that sign and 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 don't be afraid to call man uh, try to try to take advantage of that grunt that's the way we've got time to get in the tree perfect awesome well travis man we appreciate you coming on this podcast dude and, and talking about this uh it's just something that been wanting to cover for a little while i think it's a uh, pretty good timing for a lot of our especially our deep south listeners um, and I, I really do feel like we're going to have some listener success stories coming from this episode, you know, guys, you know, hunting and scouting for, uh, chasing tracks, cutting tracks, uh, and really kind of having success in and around those areas. And hopefully it's something that's going to play out for us as well. We, we're still not even into the, uh, the, the rut here where we're at. So we've still got some time to really try to figure this stuff out during this pre-rut period and, uh, and see if we can get on some chasing tracks ourselves. So. Uh, Travis, I greatly appreciate you coming on the podcast, sharing this with us. And, uh, man, I know you got a, a long season ahead of you. It's still about to uh, just now get good where you're at. So uh, have to keep us posted how you're doing. And, again, if anybody has any questions or anything, I'm sure they probably could look you up on Facebook or anything like that, kind of talking to you absolutely. about any kind of chasing or cutting tracks. Yes, sir, absolutely. Been glad to help. Awesome, perfect. Well, Travis, thanks again for joining us on the podcast. Listeners, again, if you're, you know, hopefully like us and some other people that hopefully are going to have a listener success story from this, make sure you shoot us. Uh, an email at our, or I guess fill out a form on our contact page on the website, the southernoutdoorsman.com listener success story. Let us know uh, some feedback from some episodes that's helped you be successful. And guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast, make sure you send this episode to a couple buddies, help them out for this season. Maybe it'll help them uh, kill a nice buck this season. And guys, we'll catch you back here on this Friday's episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Friday Breakdown. So thanks again, everybody. We'll see you Friday. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You gotta be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.